I, um, I'm excited about being in this series of looking at what Jesus had to say. And, and one of the questions we asked, we started last week, we asked the question, what if we generally lived what we believed about Jesus? And so what does it truly mean to be a follower of Christ? And are we living by the words that Jesus actually taught? And I want to look at a situation today in the scriptures of Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house, which would eventually become one of Jesus' apostles. But Matthew is one of these apostles that chose to follow him. And Matthew really is not the person you would think didn't have the greatest credentials that you would think to become an apostle of Christ. His credentials were not the best to say the least. Matthew, let me give you a little background here. Matthew was a tax collector, and that was probably the most least popular job at the time for this reason. A tax collector worked for the Roman government, and they became rich by dishonestly collecting excessive taxes from their own people and richening uh, their own lives. And so the Jews actually saw them as traitors. And because of this, Matthew was hated and he was despised. And the religious elite at the time actually saw them, tax collectors, as sinners. And even associating with a tax collector could ruin your reputation. These are the people that Jesus went after. This is the person that Jesus called. And Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, and Matthew leaves his occupation to follow Jesus. Matthew left behind his prior life to start this new one, forgiven, a new future with Christ. So I want to look at this story, because it's an incredible story about who Jesus goes after. Who does Jesus call. And it's in Matthew chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, you want to look at the screens or you've got your devices there, I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17. And we're going to look at Jesus's calling of, uh, of Matthew and how just powerful uh, this is. And so we're going to start with verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Well, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the religious elite, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? They don't do this religious observance. And Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for that patch will pull away from the garment, making, it, making the tear even worse. Neither do men pour wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." Now, I want you to notice something right away here. For Jesus to be eaten at Matthew's house would be considered scandalous, to say the least. 
Absolutely scandalous. So Jesus is not trying to win any popularity contest at this point. He knows that this is going to cause a stir. He knows this is going to cause people to raise their eyebrows. Because Jesus cares for people. Jesus came for sinners. By Jesus going to Matthew's house showed exactly what his purpose was and why he came to earth. The word Jesus uses to describe this as he's speaking to the religious elite, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You go to the doctors and we're sick. We need a diagnosis. We go because we're sick. We're not feeling well. There's something wrong with us. And Jesus came for sinners. And we're all broken and we're all far from God. And Jesus came to bring those that were far away to bring them near. Jesus didn't stand from afar and just point out all the sins of everybody and then leave. Say, hey, good luck with all that. I'll see you later. I'm going back to heaven. I want you to notice something here. Jesus got into people's lives. He got right there. He didn't care about his reputation. He understood the background of Matthew. He didn't wait for Matthew to get it all together, to get it all right. He went to eat at his house. He wanted to have a relationship with Matthew, a personal relationship with Matthew. We need to understand that because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Many times as Christians, we get together in our little holy, holy huddles, right? Get together with other people that believe, look like us, smell like us, talk like us. Hallelujah. You know, we get together. And then what we do is we, we, we push aside those that are in the world. And then we categorize two groups of people, those that are in here, the church, right? In the four walls of the church. And then those that are out there. But I want you to realize Jesus didn't call us just to be part of a holy huddle. Listen, it's great to come together, we worship, we grow in God's word. But really, the proof of what Jesus is doing in our hearts is how we see the world that Jesus actually gave his life for. You see, Matthew, he understood that he was a sinner, that he needed a savior. He knew that he was sick. However, the religious at the time were blind to their own wayward hearts. They were good at pointing out everyone else's who was sinful, yet they did not see their own wickedness. They separated themselves from who they were from the sinner. And Jesus wasn't popular with this group of people because he would expose the true motives of their heart. And this is what he does at this meeting. And so what Jesus points out for us is the type of follower he is looking for. Who is Jesus looking for? His words for us describe what a true Christian is. Now, many of you, I told my story about my, my dad's um, conversion or my dad's uh, coming to know Jesus as a personal savior. I just love this story because it was really from somebody that my dad worked with. And my dad worked at Kodak. He retired from Kodak. And um, there was a guy that he worked with. And this guy, you know, he'd work with him. And he's, you know, he had very colorful language. Um, very colorful language. And, you know, he was just a partier. My dad was seeing this guy, you know, just partier. And he had very colorful language. And all of a sudden, he changed. And he came in and his vocabulary was cut in half. And he just, he goes, it wasn't his partier. My dad just says, what in the world happened to you? Now, at this time, we're going to church. We're going through the religious calisthenics of going to church and doing the right thing and, and going to, to, to Sunday school and, and doing what we feel is right. 
as a family, but we were, we were, we were religious. If you were to ask me if, if we were practicing Christians, I would say yes, because we went to church. And how many you know going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? We, we, we get that, right? We get that. So, so we, we did this, and some of you may relate to this, we did this religious work. We were going through kind of the motions, but it wasn't personal. And what my dad noticed in this gentleman is that there was something personal. Something happened personal to him that changed his life. And so my dad's like, what do you have? Because I'm a deacon at our church, but I, I, I think I'm missing something. That there's something I'm, I'm like, you, 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 you're like excited. Like you've changed. Like what's going on? It was a changed heart. It wasn't just religiosity on the outside. It was a change of heart from the inside. There was something that changed his heart. There was this personal relationship with Jesus that my dad knew that he was missing in his life, even though he was doing, quote unquote, good things on the outside. And so we asked him, what's going on? And so this, this man shared his testimony of what Jesus means to him. And on break time, in a break room, wherever it was, this man prayed with my dad to come to Christ to know Christ as his savior at Eastman Kodak on break time. God is just wonderful, isn't he? God is just, he's good. And what began to happen is through a series of events, we met a neighbor who was, you know, a born again Christian and told us about a church and we eventually began to move in. And here, the, the purity of the gospel message of why Jesus came. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. Jesus didn't come to give you more rules. Jesus came to literally show us the way back to the Father for us to understand that we are lost without him, that he desires to have a relationship with you that just doesn't change your life on Sunday morning, but every day. That he wants to have this relationship with you, a personal relationship with you that causes you to rethink your life, to cause you to rethink your priorities, This is the joy, not just to bring religion that can put people into bondage. And this is what the religious elite were doing. They were more in love with their religion than they were with God or with Jesus. You see, religion can control people. It can tell you what to do. And it tells you how to do it. But what began to happen is you become self-righteous. You know, we can look good on the outside but not be good on the inside. We can do that. And that's what Jesus was faced with when he was dealing with this religious elite. They were following these rules and these structures on how you to do it. But they moved away from this personal relationship with God that he says, I desire mercy over your sacrifices. Now, the sacrifices were good. It showed us that we needed God, that we needed forgiveness. But it became this religious calisthenics. As long as I go through this, it's good enough. But God did not have control of their hearts. There was not a humility before God. They were trusting their works and their religiosity over their relationship with Christ and who truly had control, who had control. And see, Jesus, what he wants for us, he doesn't want us just to be religious. He wants us to be changed. He wants us to know him in this way that he has access to every part of our lives. I was 
I read Charles Finney. For those who don't know Charles Finney, as I read his autobiography, Charles Finney was a lawyer who came to Christ and in the 1800s. He would go to churches and speak. And he was evangelist, and he would share the gospel message, and he'd go into, he would go into different churches and to speak. And there was just huge fruit from his ministry. Many people came to Christ because of his powerful testimony. And reading through his autobiography, it's very interesting. He actually traveled through New York State and uh, held big revivals, especially in Rochester. There was some great things, many, many people coming to the Lord in the 1800s in Rochester. But I remember reading a couple stories, and one stuck out, stood out to me about him being at one church. And he was at one church, and he was speaking there. And, and what he would do is he would have people weeks before just pray for the services. And people would pray, pray, pray that people would come to Christ as, the, as their Savior. And he was at one church, and there was a pastor's daughter there. And she thought she was okay. She thought she was religious. She thought she was good. And on the outside, she said she was. But there was something powerful about the words that Charles Finney was speaking about the Word of God and having this personal relationship with God and him changing you from the inside out. And she goes, there was something missing in my life. I was religious, but I was missing the relationship. I was doing the right things on the outside. I was, I was, I was good, but I was missing that relationship. She thought she was good and religious, but Christ, what he did for her was completely dismantled her old way of thinking. And this was a common occurrence in many of Charles Finney's meetings. It was an awakening. I appreciate Tim Keller's thoughts here. See, what Jesus comes to do, he comes to crush and dismantle this old way of thinking and this is what he does with the Pharisees. See, we can become, we, we can, he, this is Tim Keller's thoughts. He says, we can become, a, you know, we can't become a Christian unless our old foundations are smashed. Unless they're smashed. Our, our, our whole approach to God, self, and religion, unless they are crushed. We, we, we can't come to Christ with our self-righteousness or what we think and think we're going to bargain with God. No, our old ways and our old ways of thinking need to be smashed and need to be crushed. See, Christianity is not about me bringing my righteousness to the table. And see, the religious elite at the time, they were bringing their righteousness and what they did for God to the table, missing the whole relationship and the humility that God wanted before them and true repentance. See, it was a righteousness on the outside, but not a righteousness on the inside. There's not a change of heart. And this is Jesus' point when he says, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. It will not work. And the way you're approaching God is the old way, and it will not work. New wine through fermentation will break the old wineskins because it needs room to expand. See, the Pharisees rejected Jesus and his word because they refused to allow their hearts to expand. To understand that he's the fulfillment of all those Old Testament laws and regulations. That there's no way we could fulfill them. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all them for you. But there's no room in your heart for me because you'd rather be stuck here than allow for this new way that I want to bring for you that brings life, healing, and freedom. Man, that's good preaching right there. That is, I'm preaching to myself right now. So let me just have a moment with myself. Listen, listen. I think sometimes we get stuck in these old ways of thinking about God or trying to approach God through my old works, and it only leads us into bondage. The Pharisees used, in fact, their religion to justify themselves and make themselves better than everyone else. 
It was this outside work of God that says, we're going to make ourselves look better than everyone else. You see, they weren't coming to God with humility. They were coming to God with their self-righteousness. And Jesus wanted to smash that. And basically, they saw only two types of people. People like them and sinners. That's it. We're better, they're sinners, and we separate ourselves from them. So they separate themselves from the sinners to make themselves look righteous. And when you think that way, it will be very difficult to love someone who is different than you. Very difficult. If we begin to categorize everybody into them and us, love gets thrown out the window. Now, do we, can we all admit that we live in an evil world? That, that there's a lot of stuff going on? Can we admit that we too are sinners? And, and that we have, our, we have our stuff? Can we all be just on, just, just us here this morning? And everybody watching online, listen, we have our stuff, right? We got our stuff too. And if, unless, listen, unless we're daily preaching the gospel to ourselves, what we'll end up doing is categorizing ourselves better than everyone else. And the gospel message says, Jesus died for sinners. When I preach that to myself, it humbles me before Christ to realize that it's only by his grace and his mercy and that I have my issues too and I need to continually come back to Christ and the cross and thank him for his mercy and grace that he gives me every day. But we begin to categorize people and pull away and say, that's them out there and they're evil and they're bad and we're over here in our holy huddle. We're going to lose love really quickly for people and why Jesus came and our motivation to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. See, the Pharisees, what they were really doing is judging Jesus and those who were at Matthew's house. They were judging them. Basically, they were saying they weren't good enough. So what Jesus will do next is crush this type of thinking, the type of thinking that categorizes sin or categorizes sin into the the big sins and the little sins. They are sinners. We are not. We are pleasing to God by what we do, and they're all sinners. So the Pharisees, by their self-righteousness, were trying to distance themselves from the sinner. Because you'd, God forbid you'd associate with them, because if you associate with them, then you're one of them. And what does Jesus do? He goes right to them, right to Matthew's house, and has dinner with him, to have a personal relationship with him. You see, listen, we all do this. Let's, let's be honest. We, we all do this, don't we? When, like those of you with parents, you know, those parents and raising kids, you raised kids. You know, we've all done this when your kid does something wrong. Isn't it funny how we say, that's your child? And then when they do something right, they say, Matthew, my child. That's my girl. That's my boy. Or they do something. That's your child. That, that, you know, you, you, that, that, they're, they're getting your traits or whatever, right? We, because what, what, in reality, we want to distance ourselves to make ourselves look better, right? So we don't want to be associated with that. So before we start pointing all the fingers at the Pharisees, which we're, which we're, we're much more like the Pharisees than we, we hate to believe, right? Amen? Amen. So, so let's call it for what it is. And Jesus calls the motivation here, of the heart. So we, we, we don't want to look bad. We don't want to be associated with that. And this is the attitude that Jesus exposes in the religious elite of his time. They weren't concerned with reaching others or helping others find God, just pointing out how bad they were. And so what Jesus does to crush that type of thinking, he doesn't stand back and just throw out the gospel message at a distance. He goes right to where they are and has a relationship with them, eats with them, talks with them, 
shares with them, has a relationship with Matthew and his friends to show them the way back to life, to call those who are far away, to call them into God's kingdom. And so what Jesus does is Jesus came to reach those who are far away. That's his purpose, to call them to be drawn near. Because, listen, if we're completely honest with ourselves today, um, we're all hypocritical at times. We're all hypocritical at times. We, we, can, we can look at the so-called big sins of the world, and yet at the same time we can gossip or talk behind each other's back and not think twice about it, and then cover it up by saying it's a prayer request, right? We, 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 we do a good job. Everybody's like, should I laugh at that? It's okay to laugh at it because it's true, all right? So we, we can tend to do that. We can be hypocritical, and we, 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 you know, can we admit there's hypocrisy on, on both sides? But, but this is the attitude that Jesus is trying to dismantle in trying to crush in our way of thinking when we look at the world or we look at the purpose of the church or the calling we have as followers of Jesus. You see, the Pharisees judged Jesus by who he was around. They even said to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with those people, these tax collectors, these sinners? And what he does is he, he smashes their thinking and their self-righteousness. And this is what Jesus says. He says, listen, It's not the healthy who needs the doctor, but the sick. And then he says this, and go and learn what this means. Learn what it means. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. You get the religious stuff. You get the religious calisthenics and the sacrifice. That's That's not wrong in itself. But what you've forgotten is mercy. It's easy to point out the sin, but you forgot how to minister to the sinner and to help them see me. And so what Jesus does here is he quotes Hosea 6.6. And Hosea is a prophet speaking from the Lord the waywardness of of Israel and their backsliding. And Hosea 6.6 says this. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, What God is speaking to to, to wayward Israel is he's trying to speak to their heart, trying to speak to mercy. I desire steadfast love. See, listen, listen, listen. In our relationship with God, if if Jesus came to us and just gave us a a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules, got us in a headlock, said, I'm going to make you serve me, would that be a relationship? Not really, right? Not really. Now, we may obey that for a while, but it's not a relationship. What Jesus does is he comes, he grabs our heart. What makes me want to obey Christ? What makes me want to obey Christ is the relationship that I have with him. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want things to come into my life that's that's going to, to hurt my relationship with Jesus because Jesus comes into my life personally by giving his life for me. And when I understand the depths and the lengths that he went through on the cross for me, there's this gratitude that wells up in my heart. Now listen, this, parenting, can we all, parents, can we just say parenting is hard? Survey says, right, all in favor that parenting is hard, amen, right? It's, it's difficult. But listen, we need to have structure for our kids, amen? And we want to protect them, especially when they're younger, we want to protect them. But as our kids get older, it's harder and harder to do that, right? 
because we want to protect them. We, we, want, we want to have this structure, and we don't want them to go beyond these things. And I remember having this heart-to-heart conversation with my boys at one time when they were like 12 or 13 years old. And I remember telling them, we had filters on our Internet and protecting things and everything else to you know, try to build our house like Fort Knox or anything getting into the house. Right? We tried to do all our best. But I remember having this heart-to-heart with my, my boys, and I said, listen, I can't build walls high enough for you to keep you from pornography. I can't. I'll I'll try my best. I'll try to live that example before you. We'll put filters up and things just to to help with the temptation and and to protect you. But I know that you can easily go to a friend and you can easily look at their phone. So I can't build walls high enough. But here's what, what I care about the most. I care about your heart. And I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. That, that we can have an honest conversation about whatever you're struggling. And I will not try to shame you or put more guilt on you, but talk about these things so we can work through it as a relationship because I love you. You see, Jesus comes to us and he says, I love you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. But my desire for you is to have this relationship with you. I could come and bury you in rules, but I know that's not going to make you serve me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I want to have a relationship with you. And listen, people, the example of Jesus going to Matthew is that perfect example of what Jesus desires in a relationship with us. He goes out of his way to go and minister to somebody who everybody else thinks is way too far away to be saved. And he grabs their heart by having a relationship with them. And Matthew changes his ways because he has a relationship with Jesus as Savior. That's the relationship that he desires to have with you and I. My relationship with my wife going on 32 years of marriage coming this June, the thing that, that is so important to me in my relationship with Kathleen is that we want, we want to trust each other. But the reason why I don't want to hurt Kathleen is because I love my wife. Listen, I could sit there, and I don't even know where our marriage license is. We are married, by the way. We do have a marriage license. I have no idea where it is. But I could sit there and say, okay, we've got to be committed. You're going to obey me because, because of this license. How many know a license, a piece of paper, does not keep your marriage together? You see, the, the thing that I want to understand, the rules is not what's going to keep that relationship tight with Jesus. It's our understanding of that covenant that Jesus, through his very blood, has with us. He sacrificed everything. The reason why I don't want to hurt my wife Kathleen is because I love her and we have a relationship together. You see, Jesus loves us so much that he gave everything and he desires for that relationship and it's a covenant relationship through his own blood and we're going to take communion in just a moment. He says, this is a new covenant and what? My blood which speaks these words of unconditional love for you, that I will never leave you or forsake you, that nothing can separate you from my love, which is in Christ Jesus. Those are the words that he speaks to us. When those words are driven into your heart, that's what it means to be his follower. Because now you obey him out of gratitude for what he's done, not because he got you in a headlock and has placed all these rules in your life. That would be very stagnant, very rigid. That's not what he desires. He desires to know you. That humbles me. And so what that does is as a follower of Jesus, when that humbles me, it allows me to look at other people with the same mercy that Jesus showed towards me when I didn't deserve it. 
So what Jesus does is he wanted those who thought they had it all together to rethink what God truly cared about. They were more concerned with their religious activities than actually loving people. See, we can be more concerned with going to church than actually loving my neighbor. And this is fine. We need to come to church, right? We, we come to church. We, 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 it's our little holy huddle. We get together. We worship. We, you know, we do all those things. And, that, and that's great. But how many know that unless it draws me to the hurting that, it, that is around me, then it just becomes a church thing. And Jesus wants to grab your heart. It'd be, you know, it'd be the same thing as going to church and we're singing great worship songs and listening to the message and then we leave the church parking lot and we're hungry because it's the second service, right? And there's a person driving super slow on Ridge Road and they're driving 15 miles an hour and you're hungry because Pastor Barden preached too long and you're riding, you're riding, riding them two inches from their bumper and you're beeping your horn and you're flashing your lights, right? It's, it's the same way. It's like we, we, we forget And I'm the same way. I'm poking myself too. You see, Jesus says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you just don't get it. You look religious, yet you're not actually living it. See, we can act good without being good. That's not what Jesus wants. The Pharisees were, were acting good, but they weren't good. There wasn't a change from inside. So Jesus at this point, at this point, here's his point. It's more than just going to church, which is important. Reading your Bible is important. Prayer is important. All those things benefit you. But are we showing grace and mercy and are we forgiving those who hurt us? That will cost you something. Listen, I love you guys, by the way. Listen, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, all this stuff is great. It benefits you, which we should be doing. But when you have to forgive someone and show the world mercy and grace and live in humility, it will cost you something. You know what it cost Jesus? His life. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was abused. He was characterized as a sinner because of those who hung out with, who he hung around. And Jesus' whole purpose was to come for sick people. For sick people. And those are the people that reached out to Jesus because he showed his mercy and his grace and his love to them and his forgiveness to them. And they followed him and they obeyed him out of gratitude for what the Son of God did for them. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's follow him with the right motivations. Let's follow him because of what he's done for us. And with that comes a life of obedience and righteousness and holiness that says, I don't want to do these things anymore, not because there's this big rule over my head. I don't want to do them because I don't want it to hurt my relationship with Jesus. Do you understand the difference? It's about a relationship. Jesus wants access to, to your heart. He wants access to every room. He wants access to the basement where you shove all the stuff and you don't allow anybody to see when they come over to your house. That's the room he wants access to. And I think what happens in church, and and we all do it, is, is we're so afraid of being judged. We're so afraid of what will people think. What do they 
Man, we need to get over that and realize that Jesus wants us to walk in humility. And when we do that, we'll be humble with the world and realize that God has called us to serve them. That is what is true Christianity. See, it's easy to point out the sin. It's another thing to care for the sinner. And we're all good at pointing everything out, aren't we? We are. I always tell people, I say, I have a little policy in my own brain. But I said, listen, if, if you come with suggestions about the church or something you want to change, because I mean, you know, we all, we, there's, listen, there's all things we could change, right? I would say, bring two solutions to help us. And I'll probably make you head of that committee. So I'm just saying, if you come with an issue, I'm going to make you head of that committee, right? See, it's easy to point it out. It's one thing to actually do something about it. See, how do we truly know for following the words of Jesus to live a life of mercy? How do we know that? Living a life of mercy will be seen in how we deal with our own failures and how we deal with others' failures. Because the way we deal with our failures may be a lot less severe than we deal with other people's failures. And it's that same grace that was poured out on me when I least deserved it, that Jesus forgave me. And there's a humility that comes with that that will help us to be humble when we deal with other people. Jesus ate with sinners on purpose. That is who he came for. That is who he came for. And it was to say this, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be part of your life. How do we help people who have failed? Do we try to restore them? Are we kind? Or are we indignant and judgy and say, how could you do that? Jesus embraces those who are repentant. Those who feel like they're a failure, Jesus embraces and pours his mercy and grace upon their life. Jesus eating with sinners is so significant. Jesus shows that he will forgive you no matter what you've done or who you are. That's his grace. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Because the example of Matthew is someone who was seen as the worst of the worst and Jesus didn't let him slip by. Jesus didn't let him pass by. Jesus shows us that's who he came for. Are we the same way? Or do people find us unapproachable? We need to be approachable people. We need to allow people to know that they can come to us. They don't feel like, okay, is this, I know this person's a Christian, but what if I went to ask them to pray for me? Am I going to get judged? You know, let's be people that are caring and loving, that people feel comfortable to approach us and find healing. My mom shared this really cool story about my grandfather. I don't know what happened. I don't remember the details, but my mom said she wanted to talk to her dad. She was a teenager and he thought it was something big and she just wanted to talk to him and it wasn't, but it was something that, and he said, before she even opened her mouth, my grandfather said, Peggy, I don't know what you're going to tell me, but I want you to know that I love you and I support you. See, I want you to know that you can come to Christ the same way and Jesus already knows what we've done, amen? But I want you to know that through his grace, he loves us and he supports us 
And he wants us to know that unconditional love that will heal our sin, that will heal our waywardness because that's how approachable he is. Jesus went into Matthew's house and ate with the worst of the worst. He wants to come in right where you are and he's not asking you to do all these things, to jump through all these hoops first, to go to church for a year first, to dress right, to give up all these things. He's saying, just let me come, give me access and let me do the changing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, may we have the same attitude with those who so desperately need it. Let's be those people who are approachable. People that can come to us knowing that they can find a place, a person who will listen and pray for them and allow the mercy and grace of Jesus to be poured out in their life so they can come to know him in a personal way like you know. See, that is how Jesus is with us. Let Jesus deal with your sin. Amen? Let him deal with your sin. And let Jesus use you to deal with mercy with other people's sins. That's the perfect picture we get with Matthew's calling. Jesus called a sinner to come home not from a distance, but right around his living room table, chatting with Matthew. Matthew, yeah, you did all these things, but guess what? God wants to change you. Why don't you come home? And Matthew did. Let's be a people who are approachable, amen? Amen. Father God, I want to thank you for your word today. Lord, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we're much more like the Pharisees than we are. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart. For those who feel far away today, whether they're watching online or here at church, Lord, for those who feel far away, feel like they're just, God has glanced over them or they're not good enough or maybe they've been hurt in church. Maybe they were hurt by someone else. Jesus, I pray that you would show them your mercy and grace that you come into our lives knowing our background, knowing what we've done, and you desire to have a relationship with us that we can find grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are approachable, that, Lord, we would continue to speak the gospel message to ourselves every single day so that we will walk in humility when we look at the world and knowing those are the people that you came for, Jesus. So help us to look for those opportunities every single day to be your witness, to be your hands, to be your feet extended into this world, to look for opportunities, to pray with people, to love on people, to show them who Jesus is. And I thank you, Lord, that it's through your grace and your mercy, it's your love that leads us to repentance, that leads us to change our minds, that leads us to take a deep look at ourselves Thank you, Jesus, for being that Savior, that perfect Savior for us that we all need. We love you. We thank you. And I just pray, Lord, that for those that are just feel like they're missing their relationship with you today, I pray you'd call them home. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
I want you to take out your communion cups today and we're going to take communion together. The relationship that we have with Jesus is only possible through his sacrifice, through his body that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. So let's, let's the top foil, we'll take out the wafer and then the next foil we'll un- unveil the, the juice. And let's just take those both off at this time. We'll take communion together. Amen. Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus on that night, as he's getting ready to be sacrificed and go to the cross for you and I, he said, this bread is my body that's given for you. This cup symbolizes my blood, this new covenant that I'm making with you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion as a family, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And it's only through your sacrifice that my sins are covered. So we're asking Christ to cover us anew and afresh today to establish that relationship that we have with him. To know that it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can find our way back to God, that we can find peace again, that we can find forgiveness. It's only through Christ and Christ alone. So when we take this, we're remembering that. My prayer for you is that Christ would cover you that Christ would show you that relationship that he desires to have with you, and that by doing this, you realize that Jesus does cover us today, that he binds us together as a church, that we walk through life together under the grace of Christ and his forgiveness. So we thank you, Lord, for these emblems today. We thank you for this wafer that symbolizes your body that was given for us, It's a perfect sacrifice. We thank you for this cup that symbolizes your blood. We know that that the word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. You cover us today. So cover us, Lord. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for making us clean. Thank you for the new life we now have in you through your death and resurrection. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll partake of both emblems. First, we'll take the bread together, and then you can take the cup. Amen. And we'll take the cup together. God bless you. Amen. Amen. When you're finished with that, if you would stand with me, we're just going to close in song. Amen. God bless you as we just close this and close in song today. Just sing this unto the Lord. Let him minister your heart today. God bless you.